Welcome to Seven Mile Ministry. We hope you enjoy this message. Blessing to guide us, unveil the truth of your word to each and every heart. Unveil the reality of yourself to each and every spirit right here. And whoever may be listening on the app. Father, we look to you. We give you the glory and the honor for everything you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. If you have your Bible, you could open them to the fifth chapter of Mark's gospel. While you're doing that, we we may read a few other spots. Mark chapter 5. And remember in Hebrews 11.1, it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, and it's the evidence of things that are not seen. Evidence of things that are not seen. And the Bible says that we walk by faith and not by sight. And uh, you can't always trust your eyesight, you know, or you can't always trust your feelings. I said always. Now, sometimes, like we say, you better trust your eyesight. If you're going you're gonna to cross the road and a car's coming, you better believe what you see, you know. But um, the Bible says that the just shall live by it. And uh, the Bible says that we walk by it instead of by our natural sight. We believe in what the Bible has to say on the subject instead of what we see with our natural eye, or what we feel with our physical feelings, or what we feel with our emotions. You know, your emotions are a roller coaster. That's right. I mean, if, you, uh, if you're not careful, you'll be a roller coaster yourself if you pay attention to them. Because, I mean, one day your emotions may be up here, the next day they may be down there. Yep. And, of course, a lot of times that's a, a problem in some folks' lives, and they, they go and they have to take medicine for it and to balance them out. And there ain't nothing wrong with that. I mean, you know, if you need to, that's fine. But if, uh, if you really do get, get rooted in God's Word, He'll balance out those emotions for you. But if you need to take medicine, take it. How you know? I mean, God's not opposed to it. He's not opposed to anything that's helping people. He just don't want you to depend upon natural means instead of Himself. He wants to be the first, the the final, final, (laughs) the final, he wants you, he wants us to view him to be the final authority. That's what he wants. That's what he wants. But in many cases, you, you know, in a lot of cases, we don't do that. We, we, all, we, we go straight by what we feel or by what we see or by what somebody may have told us instead of going straight to the source himself. You know, he wants us going straight to the source himself, which is him. You remember in the Garden of Eden, he said there's two trees. There's life, and then there's a tree of knowledge of good and evil. Remember that? And what did he tell them? Don't eat of this tree of knowledge of good and evil. Why? Because 
I'm the person that has the knowledge. I want you to come to me. You don't need to seek something else. He never told them that they had never know the difference between good and evil. He just told them he don't want you to seek knowledge from the natural standpoint. Seek me. And I'll, I'll be able to, to, to fill in the rest for you. But uh, like we said in Hebrews where he says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It says that now faith is. And it says faith is substance. It's a reality. It, it is a reality. Now, if you're in Mark chapter 5, uh, the 25th verse, it says, There was a certain woman, and she had an issue of blood for 12 years and suffered many things of many physicians, spent all that she had, nothing bettered, but rather she grew worse. When she had heard of Jesus, she came in the press behind, touched his garment, for she said, If I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway, the fountain of her blood was dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue, or that means power, had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, You see the multitude thronging you. And saying, who touched me? And he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, daughter, thy faith has made thee whole. Go in, go in peace and be whole of thy plague. Now, I remember when I was a kid, I had... Uh, Severe ear infections. And I don't know if anybody's ever had ear infections or not, but Bubba, they can get bad. And they say if you're an adult and you have ear infections, it's like triple dog worse. But uh, I used to have them, and I remember even on up to a teenager, I remember waking up, uh, and I remember, you know, there'd be stuff jump running out of my ear because, you know, ears are so infected. But um, I remember there was one particular time and it was, it was during football season. I remember this because uh, we played ball, you know, park ball. And I remember you had a routine. You know, you went to school. And then when you came home uh, after school, you got ready and you went to ball practice. And it didn't matter if you were sick or not. I mean, these days, you know, if somebody stumps their toe, they, they call an ambulance, wrap them up, and don't let them move for three weeks, you know. But uh, we went to work if you were sick. You played ball if you were sick. You went to school. If you, something had to be severely wrong if you didn't get out of the house. You know, there was no Mickey Mousing around. I mean, <laughs> you had to go. And I mean, even playing ball, I mean, Daddy had a theory, and his theory, I would disagree with it, was wrong. He said, unless your bone is sticking out of the body, you continue to play. That's not a good advice to follow. <laughs> Because his bone did stick out, of the, out and he, he kept playing and he'll tell you that was a big mistake because uh, it gives him trouble even today. But, uh, of course, what he was trying to get over was don't be a pansy and don't fake and don't be a, a sissy about everything, you know. But um, I remember this ear infection when I was a kid, but it was so bad. And, and you know, you had a fever coming off, off of you and... Um, so I, I went home after school, and I remember it, it was bad, raging. 
Well, my mother, she came back, back there to where we were. We had what they called a big den, and then they had a little den. I was back there in what we called the little den back in those days when they, they had it set up that way. And so she started to uh, open up the Bible, and, and she went to Mark eleven twenty three and 24. And um, those are the verses that Brother Hagin wrote, <laughs> you know. I'm just kidding. Jesus said them, <laughs> but everybody thinks he wrote them. And uh, she, I don't, she, she, I, I believe she, I, I think I remember she actually quoted those things, you know, and, and Jesus said, verily, and, and verily over here in, in our, uh, our area, you know, we don't say verily and truly, but, but over in uh, Israel, uh, in the, that area over there, when, when they would say verily, they mean, I tell you the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God. It'd be like us standing up in court is what, is when Jesus said verily, that's what he said. I tell you the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God. And then he said, whosoever shall say in this mountain, be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea, shall not doubt in his heart, believe, believe those things which he says shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. And then 24, he said, therefore I send you what things soever you desire. When you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. But see, a lot of times what we, we fail to realize, you know, we just take those verses and want to go out and just start, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. You, you fail to realize Jesus said, in the heart, believe in the heart. And a lot of times our believing is really, the Bible says, it's the lust of the flesh and the pride of life, what's in your head. And there's a difference from believing in your heart and a difference in just wanting something. I want that. Well, let me have this. God, give me that. You know, if it's not in your heart, your spirit it's not going to work. So don't waste your time. And so we make shipwreck a lot of times because we say, well, you see, that, that, that just don't work. God's word just don't work. No, God's word always works. But you see, there's, there's a formula there. And he says it's got to be of the heart, inside your spirit. Because Jesus said, listen, he said, man believes with what? He didn't say anything about believing with your head. He said, you believe with the heart. And then in Romans, he says, with the heart is where man believes. That's the spirit of man. Because man's a threefold being. He's a spirit, he has a soul, and lives, lives inside of a body. The spirit of man, in Romans, says, is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. It's, it's in the spirit is where God speaks to people. And in order for us to locate our spirit, you know, you've got to have a steady diet of God's word. And have a fellowship with him to where you can, you can ascertain, is it him in here, or is it you up here, or the devil? And... What, what you believe in your heart, Jesus said, if you believe in your heart, it'll come to pass. But faith in your heart and your spirit will work while doubt's inside your head. And don't think for a moment that doubt doesn't come against the mind, because believe me, it does. Because Satan's out there. Satan will come and he'll put everything under the sun inside your head. But what's inside your heart is eternal. What's inside your head is temporal. Some people say you got, ain't got much in your head anyway, you know. But what's in your mind is what, I guess a better way, is temporal, temporal. It means it doesn't last forever. But what's in your heart is eternal because First uh, Corinthians says, you know, we're not looking at things that are on the outward. But the things we look at are eternal. Talking about what's in God's word. Now, this is eternal. So what, what's sown and, and rooted inside your heart, that's where faith is. And Jesus said faith uh, is of the heart of the spirit. And right here, this woman, 
with the issue of blood, when she touched Jesus' garment, it says that virtue came out of him because he felt it leave him. He felt virtue leave, that means power, it, it ran out of him. Well, there were a multitude that was, that was there trying to see him. I mean, everybody tried to, by this time, Jesus was well known all over Jerusalem and all over Decapolis and everywhere. And people were trying to get to him. They wanted to see what he looked like. You know, they wanted to see, you know, what is he, how old is he, how tall is he? You know, I want to see him. Let me, let me fasten my eyes upon him. Let me get near him, you know. Let me ask him some questions. Everybody was trying to get, get, get a, a grasp of him and look at him. Everybody was pushing and shoving. You know, even the disciples, I mean, I, I can picture them. They were probably trying to make some type of a circle around him and escort him through, you know, through the town. Uh, because everybody was trying to stop him and flag him down. But this woman who had been sick so long, and when she got in touch with him, the Bible says that Jesus felt virtue go out of his body into her. Now, that day when I had those ear infections, back to what we were talking about, after she quoted those verses there, she put her, she put her hand on my ear, where the, the infection here. And, and the Bible said too, you know, it said, lay hands on the sick. And he said, they shall recover. Or these signs shall follow the believing ones, you know. Well, she put her hand on my ear and she started to pray. And the Lord's my witness. It seems like it was yesterday. And I don't know why I've heard people say spiritual things don't ever lose its luster. It never grows old, you know. But the Lord's my witness as I'm sitting right there out of her hand right into my ear. I felt virtue, power, I, or we would say I felt the anointing leave her hand and go right into my ear. Now, as a kid, I coined the phrase, it felt like heat waves coming, flowing out of her hand, and it was shooting all into my ear, warm, warm heat waves. And I could almost even see them it, just like this going in. Well, instantly it left. It was gone. Well, that virtue, you see, is the same virtue that ran out of Jesus into her. Now, I've prayed for people several times uh, for for years and sometimes things take instantly sometimes things the majority of the time to be honest with you it takes time especially when you're appropriating certain things like like divine healing because yeah it does belong to you and if it's in your heart you see to receive it it's going to be there but, uh, you know, a lot of times it comes, but it's like, you know, in, in uh, Proverbs 4, 7, 427, you know, he said, my son, which means my daughter, too. Every time he says son, he means daughter. He said, attend, attend to my words, incline thine ear into my sayings, let them not depart from before your eyes and keep them in the midst of where? Your heart. Why? Because my words are life unto those that find them and their health. And the Hebrew word for health there means it's medicine to all your flesh. Now, you go to the doctor, we're not opposed to it. Doctor tells you you need to take antibiotics. What does he say? You take one on Monday, take another one on Tuesday, come back see me on Wednesday, take another one on Thursday, take another one on Friday, come back see me next Wednesday. Well, you follow his rules or you follow his plan. And those antibiotics work. Well, he says, I have a plan too. You take my word, take my word, 
take my word. It's a plan. But a lot of times what we do is we take it once, you know, and, and we just, you know, put it on a shelf and that'd be the end of it. Well, he says you attend to it. And we're not digressing from anyway. You know, we're, we're still talking about faith, but he says you attend to it. You continue on attending to it. But I don't feel like it. Well, feelings, let me tell you something. You'll feel like it one day, not feel like it the next. And you can't go by feeling. Do you always feel saved? I guarantee you, you don't. Do you always feel like God's near to you? Guarantee you, you don't. Do you always feel like, do you sometimes feel like God has abandoned you? I guarantee you, you have. But when you feel like he has abandoned you, that's when you better know in his word, he says, I will never leave you and never forsake you. And you better side in with what that has to say instead of what your feelings are telling you. Because your feelings will, will tell you anything under the sun. Well, I felt, and sometimes it's good to feel, you know, like Ellie says, sometimes, I know we don't walk by feelings, but a lot of times we want to feel something. Well, I felt that, that virtue come right out of her hand and go right into my ear. And like I said, I've prayed for people a lot, several times. And like we say, sometimes it's a progression. Sometimes it takes time. Sometimes it's instantly. And, uh, but never, only once or twice, I think in my life, have I ever felt anything come out of my hands praying with somebody. And it don't have to. But see, a lot of times people say, well, I want to feel that power too. Well, it doesn't matter if you feel it or not. It's still there. Because that right there, we're talking about faith as being the substance of things hoped for, you know. Faith is substance. Well, this virtue here is a heavenly materiality. It is a substance. But it doesn't make a difference if you feel with your physical feelings it or not. It makes no difference if you feel God's presence or not. He's there. I don't see Jesus, but I know he's here. Sometimes we, we say we feel him, but really you just have a spiritual discernment of it. You have a, you're, you're spiritually conscious of him instead of phys, physically feeling him, you know, with your, your senses. But right on the other hand, sometimes when that anointing's in manifestation inside of a service, you can feel him with your physical senses. And that's a wonderful time, and we've all been there. Uh, it's a good, good time to be that way. But anyway, regardless of what we feel... This is still a reality. Well, this woman right here, she said she's the only person there that received anything from him. Because he said to her, he said, daughter, thy faith has made thee whole. Go in peace and behold that plague. Well, the other ones were touching him out of curiosity, touching him out of wonder, you know, and just wanting to see what, you know, what he looked like maybe. Sometimes people want to know, well, I want to get near him and see if I fall down, you know. And uh, a lot of times people make a mockery of sometimes people falling down in services. Well, I mean, there's plenty of scripture in the Old Testament and the New Testament that, you know, when, when the glory of God's in such manifestation, people fall down. I mean, we've been there. We've seen it happen. But whether or not you fall or not doesn't mean God's not there. You know, he's still there. And somebody says, why do people fall down under the power or under the anointing? Well, when the natural comes in contact with the supernatural, something's going to have to give. It ain't going to be the supernatural. And then those times, you know, we all love it. Those times when that, that uh, anointing's in manifestation, 
It's uh, whether you believe it or not, if you get it in the way of the freight train on the tracks, you're going to go down. And uh, that's always a fun thing. It's always it's entertaining, too. I mean, I ain't going to lie. I mean, it's fun to watch. And you get tickled. And sometimes you laugh at people. Uh, sometimes look on their faces like, what the heck just happened? Well, you've just been hit by the glory of the Lord, you know. Uh, and sometimes people will resist him even yet. Even yet, they still resist. Well, that's their problem, I reckon. But uh, it doesn't do away with the reality that these things are real. Now... Let's 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 turn over here. Um, turn to the sixth chapter of Mark because we're going to read something right here. Now in Romans ten seventeen, and we don't have enough time here. We'll just quote some of them as we're going. It says, "So then, so then, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God." And a lot of times we say, well, I've heard that. Well, he didn't say it comes by having heard one time. He says it comes by hearing and by hearing and by hearing and by hearing. And a lot of times, it, it really, the, most of all the time, we need to have a continual inflow of God's word coming into our heart and to our, to our mind because faith will abide and your spirit feeds on God's word. As long as there is an influx or an inflow of God's word coming into you, faith will abound there. And when we're believing God, trusting God, sometimes you're trying to be strong. And and nowhere in the word does it say be strong in yourself. It says be strong in the Lord. And you've got to have a steady inflow of God's word, a consistent inflow of his word in order for you to be steady through the storms of life. Because storms of life are coming. The crisis of life is going to come. Nobody's exempt from the crisis of life. Nobody's exempt from uh, heartache and discouragement and and being let down and heartbroken or betrayed or whatever. If you haven't walked in these shoes yet, like we say, keep breathing because it's going to happen. The day will come when you're going to get hurt. Keep breathing. It'll happen. But there's a... There is hope for the believer if if you continue in his word, you know, he will keep you steady and he'll hold you steady. You don't have to be strong in yourself, but he'll be strong for you. God's word will be strong. But um, right here in, you know, and we're going to have to look in uh, the sixth, sixth chapter of Mark's gospel. Because without turning, you go looking in, in the fourth chapter, I think, of Mark's gospel. And that's when Jesus went and he said, he preached. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, heal the brokenhearted, you know, set at liberty them, them that are bruised, preached uh, deliverance to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and so on and so forth. And then it says that he, he put the scroll down and then he sat down in the midst of the people. This is the same type here. Mark's giving his account and uh, Luke gave his account, but right here, it says that in the, the second verse, it says, When the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished. And they said this, Whence hath this man these things, or what wisdom is this given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, 
the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judah, Simon. Aren't this his, aren't his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. And remember, it says Jesus was teaching in their synagogue and they were hearing him. But they, became, they were offended at him. What they were doing is they were looking completely at him from the standpoint of we knew you. We saw you grow up here. You played ball down the street. We know who you are. Your mother, your dad, who in the world are you to come be teaching all these things? Who do you think you are? Who do you think that you are? They wouldn't get past his humanity, you see. But yet, they heard the same word that everybody else was hearing. They chose to be offended by him. Now, in the fifth verse, it says this, And he could there do no mighty work, save he laid his hands on a few sick folk and healed them. It didn't say that he would not do any mighty work. It said that he could not do any mighty work. There's a difference between would not and could not. The Bible says that Jesus could not do any mighty work. And the sixth verse says, And he marveled because of their unbelief. If you want Jesus to marvel at you, doubt him. Or believe him. You know, he marveled at the centurion's faith. You remember that? He said, I haven't found so great faith, you know, even, even here in Israel because the Romans weren't supposed to be uh, available to have any type of a faith. Israel was supposed to be the ones. And Jesus said, I'm sent here and y'all don't believe anything. But here comes some, a Roman to me, an outcast. And he says, I don't need you to lay hands on anybody. I don't need you to come to my house. I don't need you to do anything but simply just say the word that my, my servant's going to be well. That's, I trust you enough, just say it. That's all I need. Because he said, I, don't, I know I'm not worthy enough for you to even come into my home. Just speak the word only and everything, I believe everything will be fine. And Jesus marveled at him and said, I've not found faith like this in Israel. But even though Jesus, now this is what we're getting over to. I know we're jumping around. Even though, even though Jesus told that his disciples, I've never found such great faith. But anybody that came to him, regardless of the level of their faith, he met them. So great faith and little faith does not uh, ascertain really whether or not you receive from God. Would you rather have great faith in one inch of ice if you're driving across a lake? Or would you rather have little faith in two feet of ice and drive across the lake in a car? What would you rather have? I'll take the two feet. I'll take the two feet. Because he met everybody. Little faith and big faith. Hey, little faith walked on water. And you know what? I know that we can put it in part and take a side, would Brother Hagin say side journey or something like that concerning walking on the water? You know, there is. And if you are going to live in faith, if you're going to live by faith and follow God, listen, it ain't going to be easy. You will not know the next step. 
And you're going to have to be taking some steps that are going to be hard. Or you can sit in the boat and stay dry. Or you can get out of the boat and there's always those possibilities and a very good possibility. It has nothing to do. You remember what Jesus said to Peter when he said, Peter, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed that what wouldn't fail? Your faith wouldn't. He, didn't say, he knew Peter was fixing to fail miserably. He didn't pray that Peter was not going to fail. Peter failed. Here's a newsflash. You will fail. You're going to get wet. But people are so afraid these days. We all are to do anything because I'd rather just stay dry. Instead of take a chance in God, for, for lack of a better term. I'd rather stay dry instead of leap out there and take a chance. Because I don't want to get wet and sink. Well, if you don't ever get out of the boat, you'll never be able to walk on the water. Ever. And one of my friends, I've, I've used this illustration before. He's been a football coach for 20 some odd years. And he says, in all the years he's coached, the, the biggest problem, the most common problem that they have with players is nobody is, he said, people are, the kids are afraid to try to make the play. They're afraid to break on the ball. I don't want to make the interception. I want to stay back. Let him catch the ball. I'll tackle him. That way I know for a fact I can tackle him. He's not going to score, but I don't want to try to make a play. I don't want to leap out. I don't want to go for the ball. I don't want to do this. I want to play it safe. They're always afraid to play it safe. They don't ever want to leap out there and get wet. Well, it's the same thing even in church, even in faith. There comes a time you're not going to know what to do. If you want the answer to every, every situation in life, you ain't going to get it from the Lord. There's times you're going to have to go step by step by step. Just follow him, trust him day by day. You're never going to get the whole picture. So quit dreaming and thinking that you are. But just go ahead and throw caution to the wind. So I'm just going to go ahead and believe him anyhow and trust him regardless of what it looks like. But anyhow, sixth verse, it said, he marveled at their unbelief. And then he went round about the villages teaching in their synagogues. So what was Jesus' solution to, the, to their problem? Teaching. That was his solution. In our mind, we would have said, just leave. Just get out, Jesus. Go somewhere else. But he stayed there. And the solution to their problem, which was their unbelief, was I'm going to stay here and teach. I'm going to continue to teach these people. Because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. The more they heard, you know, the more faith gets in there. I know uh, most people are. You, you may be a student of church history and you, people that knew Smith Wigglesworth or didn't know him but read after him all the uh, revival meetings he had all over the world. And uh, even when he came over here into America, they would, he would hold meetings. Sometimes it would be 10 days or actually longer than that. But uh, in, a lot of the times back in, in those days, you know, they held outdoor meetings and it'd be in wintertime. And so they'd all dress, you know, and he'd, they'd, everybody'd be dressed for winter. And he would say, I'm only going to teach a certain amount of time because after somebody gets so cold, you know, you get so cold, so tired, you're not going to be able to hear anything anyway. 
So he'd only teach about 45 minutes to an hour. And then he'd let everybody go. Well, he had uh, uh, documented cases. I mean, there are people that are, that are living right now today that gave testimony that, that went to funerals with Smith Wigglesworth and watched him, watched him with their eyes pull people up out of coffins and command their spirit come back into their body. And he rose and they were raised from the dead. One uh, fellow gave his testimony. He was a pastor of a church. And Wigglesworth was at his church just visiting. Well, one of his members, uh, a young fellow, he passed away. He went home to be with the Lord. And so this pastor was going to go to the family's house, you know, and, and see him. And back there then, you know, they had the, the coffin and the body inside the homes. They didn't have funeral homes, stuff like this that would do today. And so they, they had a little foyer there. They had the coffin laid over, laid over and, and uh, they had an area where they'd go see the family. And then they'd walk in there, view the body and leave. And this man said, since Wigglesworth was visiting with me, he said, well, I'll just go with you, you know. And so he thought, well, okay, you know, if you just want to go, it's no big deal. I mean, I'm, I'm just going to visit the family and, you know, comfort them and everything. So they went to his house and uh, they went through the door. And the man said, I just about melted when I walked in because Wigglesworth decided to go through those French double doors. And while the family's in there, he took both his hand, about 80 years old, reached in there and grabbed a young corpse right out of the coffin and put him up against the wall. And he couldn't speak very good grammar. His grammar was terrible. He, he, didn't have, he, he never had any education. He never learned to read until he was, uh, I think, way, way up to in his 40s. Uh, he learned to read the Bible after he got saved. But his grammar and his English was horrible. And people had to pay close attention to what he'd have to say. And he was very loud. He, was, he seemed very brash and very rude. And he would say, live in the name of Jesus. And he would take the body and he'd slam it up against the, the wall. And the body would slide down. Now I'm going to go ahead and tell you, after the first time, I'd have told everybody, you'll never see me again. And I would have went and jumped off a cliff. <laughs> or I'd have told that corpse, I'm right behind you, boy. Because I am not about to get myself, I, would, I wouldn't have even done it. I mean, I wouldn't, even, I wouldn't even have went with the pastor anyhow. I'd have stayed home, said, I'm good. You know, I don't know them. So, uh, but anyhow, after that happened, and that pastor said, I've just about melted right, right there. Uh, it was about for me. And then the man would say, you know, they, they had that old English, uh, you know, they'd say, uh, Brother Wigglesworth would frighten anybody if you've seen him, you know, how they talk so proper. Of course, Wigglesworth would say, what's your problem? They say he was very rude, seemed very rude, but he wasn't. He was just brash. And so uh, he reached down and he picked the corpse up again, slammed the corpse back up, pointed at it and said, I command you to, of course, he's screaming at it. Live in the name of Jesus and the corpse slid back down. Now you can imagine the people are, I mean, there's probably people loading their shotguns, you know, <laughs> waiting. <laughs> and uh, so he reached over there the third time, slammed that boy's body. Of, now he's a young boy. There's nowhere in the Bible where anybody 
above a certain age was ever raised from the dead. Did you ever wonder why Elisha, you remember he had a second uh, double portion of Elijah's anointing. He was buried. After he, he passed on and went on to heaven, he was buried. And years, decades go by. And his body now is deteriorated. There ain't nothing but bones out there now. And then a young kid died. And they took that young kid and they dug a grave right over Elisha's grave. They threw that young kid on top of Elisha's bones. What happened? The kid came back to life. Why didn't Elisha? Because he wasn't supposed to. Here's another question. Why was Elisha, he had a double portion of that anointing that Elijah did, but he was bald-headed. Why didn't his hair, why, why was he bald-headed? Because don't you remember the kids made fun of him, called him old bald-head. He said, keep laughing. Whistled out, maybe. And some bears come down and just rip them kids apart. That'd teach you to mock a prophet, you know. But that's what happened. And the bears tore them in half. I mean, they tore them in half. This is in the Bible, you know. <laughs> Buddy, I mean, there's some things in the Bible you just blow, you out, blow your mind. Why? Why did that? Does everybody ever wonder, why does that happen? I mean, if he had all that power in him, why did he have full head of hair? And why didn't his body come back? Remember, the Bible says after you, re, after you get 70 and 80, there's, there's other decisions to be made. Wigglesworth's wife died. He took her and he said, live. Well, hang on. Whoop. The third time he said to the boy, when they put the body up there, he started gasping and coughing. And he walked right out of that thing and he was raised from the dead you know well there's 21 cases that people testified and they had doctors even sign some affidavits he raised this person from the 21 of them his wife passed he did the same thing when he did the same thing she grabbed him and said don't you call me back again and he said yes uh, I forgot her name, but he said, okay, yes, I, huh? Polly, yeah. Polly, yes, yes, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Because she got to a particular age. When you get to a particular age and you're rooted in the Word, you have decisions to make. Now, I remember the day before Mother went home to be with the Lord. The Daddy sent me a text or called me or I forgive you called or sent a text message because I was at work, you know, and he said the doctor said her heart stopped. Now, and the doctor came out and told him, said we I mean, we put started to put the uh something inside it and she said, Don't put that in me. I'll tell you exactly why. We found out why. She already stepped over. And I knew when he said her heart stopped, I knew then we ain't going to be able to compete now. Because <laughs> you can't, you know, and even Robert Slearden will tell you, he's told his family, because he's, he's been to heaven one time when he was a kid, 
And he, he told his family, if anything happens to me, don't anybody pray. Don't anybody get the church to pray. No fasting, no praying. Now, he's only 50 years old. And I, I was sitting there going, why in the world? And he said, I don't care how much uh, you love your family or how much your family that loves you that's gone home, they don't love you that much. Because he said, I've been there. And he says, you don't want to come back. And I told my family, I don't, uh-uh. If something happens to me, I'm staying. I ain't coming back. Well, there's a reason why we don't have visions of heaven. You lose, kind of lose your drive of wanting to stay here. You know what? Anyway, so Wigglesworth, but when he would hold meetings, he would preach for 10 days and he refused to pray for anybody. Refused. Now, privately, that's one thing. Publicly, when he'd hold meetings, he would teach for 10 days and refuse to pray for anybody. He wouldn't do it. And they'd ask him, why do you do that? He says, they have to hear. They have to hear me for at least 10 days. And they used to fill out those cards. And some people said, why would you want that? Because he would want it checked off. I want to see how long you heard the word before I'm going to pray for you. Before I'm going to pray for you. Because he wanted to make sure faith was drilled into, the word was drilled into him. And when you're in settings like that, you know, when you take time, like Brother Hagin, he said he used to go, he would stay six weeks in one church, morning and night. Six weeks sometimes, morning and night, every single day, that's what he did. And he'd, he'd only pray for people once a week. Only once a week. And you see, and then these days, we're living in fast-paced society. It's a fact. Fifty years ago, Bubba Church was up, the church attendance was up here with everybody. Everybody wanted to be at church. These days, it's not like that. Everybody wants to be gone. We got things going on. It's just a fact. We got things going on, going and doing. Someone holds a meeting today, prays for folks. The reality of it is this. A certain percentage will receive. And a certain percentage will not. That's just the, the truth of it. You know, a certain percentage will receive and a certain percentage will not. You preach a message on salvation, there's a certain percentage that's going to receive. A certain percentage is not. They're just not going to. You talk about the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you know, talking about speaking with other tongues, you, you teach and preach on that. A certain percentage will receive and a certain percentage will not. But if you had time, you know, to uh, daily, just putting it in, putting it in, putting it in, the percentage would rise. But when you don't have that kind of time, it's just the way things are. The percentage doesn't rise. That's why it's utmost importance, you know, for people to view, to understand the importance of God's word on an individual level. Because that right there ultimately is what's going to hold you for eternity. Because, you know... It's wonderful to be in meetings like that. We, I, I wish we could have had some ourselves, you know, or been there. But the thing about it is you just can't, you can't be at all these meetings. You have to take time for yourself daily for the word of God for you to hear for yourself. You make the choice to hear if you want to. You know, and how many times did Jesus say, he that has an ear, what did he say? Let him hear. Let him hear. Let him hear. And then he said, 
in hearing, some of them, he said, they don't hear. And even seeing, they don't see. Hearing, they still don't hear. And seeing, they still don't see. You know, and it's a terrible shame. Because sometimes you want to ask folks, you know, what are you doing? What are you doing? Because real quickly, we'll say this and we'll, we'll hit the road. After Jesus rose from the dead and he went to a, he was on the road to Emmaus and two disciples were walking with him. Two of them were walking. First, they were walking and they were discussing everything that happened. Jesus, you know, they were going playing it play by play within themselves. I mean, I can hear them. You know, we just can't believe it. We just can't believe it. I mean, we believed him. We believed him. We thought he was going to be redeem us from Rome and all this stuff and over and over. And so they were heartbroken, heartbroken, devastated because everything that they believed in their in their mind, it it looked like it all came to nothing. And while they're talking. Right there with him, Jesus himself, the Bible says, came and started walking right beside them. And they walked all the way down that road going to the city of Emmaus. And Jesus asked them, why are you so sad? And why, what are you talking about? And they told him, that first they asked him, are you a stranger here? Or in other words, have you lost your mind? Are you from another planet? Do you not realize what just happened? Jesus of Nazareth, and they, they went and rehearsed everything to him. And then he said to them, Oh, you foolish people, slow to believe. And Jesus started, the Bible says, in the, back there in the law with Moses, all the way up through Malachi, explaining to them everything that was prophesied concerning him. But the Bible says that their eyes were withheld to where they did not recognize him. He was talking to them and their physical eyes were looking at his body. But they did not recognize him at all. They did not recognize him. And he walked with them. And when they were, he was fixing to go on somewhere else. And they said, listen, the day's far spent, night's upon us. Come on in here. Just stay with us tonight. So he went in there with them. And the Bible says he took bread, broke it, gave thanks for it. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized it was Jesus. When they recognized it was Jesus with these eyes, instantly he disappeared. And they said to one another, did not our hearts burn within us when he took the word and began to open it up to us? It, Jesus disappeared because they began to see with these eyes. They weren't seeing with these eyes when they were walking. This is where your spirit is. This is where faith is. It's not up here. It's all here. They would not look with these eyes. And so he's in the flesh walking with them, but they could not perceive that it was him. It was until the word came alive and these eyes then recognized him. When they recognized him here, instantly he disappeared. You see, what? because he wants us to walk by these eyes. He doesn't want to have to appear. He does appear to people today. Thank God he does. He should. If, you know, needs be. 
But they were, they, they came back, faith came back, they were revived in their faith. When their, their faith revived, he vanished. Because now you're, you're back where I need, you're right where I need you now. You don't need to see me anymore. You can trust me here. That's how he wanted them to walk. Just like that. We better shut her down. We're running out of time. Lord, thank you that you are good to us. Father, thank you that your word is true. It is forever settled in heaven. Lord, we thank you that you are leading us and guiding us, helping us in every situation. Answers are coming to every situation, every person. Lord, we trust you and we give you the glory and the honor for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you and we'll see you here on Sunday. Thank you for listening to this message from Seven Mile Ministry. 